You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend. We're all writers and there's a, there's a thing in writing called foreshadowing, right? So there's this, yes. this yeah. thing where you foreshadow something that's going to happen uh, and it never fails. As soon as the music starts, Tracy gets this smirk on her face because she knows that Grogu is coming. She knows that Grogu is going to hit the I screen do. in a second and, and no she's face. just waiting for it. She's waiting for the reaction. We got a good reaction from Steven. So I'm, I'm excited, Tracy. Yeah, it's, it's, this, is a, this is a good omen, as it were. So. Yeah. so on the subject of Steven, we're welcoming aboard for today's episode, Steven Arian. How are you doing, Steven? I'm good. I'm very good. I'm battling a cat who's desperate to escape, as we were saying. It is bonfire and- night and he just wants to go out and we do not want him to go out and get caught. So remembering while we are while we are internationally distributed by the powers of you know Spotify and Apple Music and all sorts of things like that, um, mm-hmm. there may be some people who don't know the reference of of Bonfire Night and remember remember the fifth of November. So catch us American heathens up. <laughs> so in 1605, 1606 or something, Guy Fawkes thought it'd be a great idea to blow up Parliament, and who could blame him? Um, and he attempted to do that, and he was not successful. But we now celebrate his attempts for the evening or the night by setting our own bonfires and setting off lots of fireworks like it's the 4th of July, essentially. But it goes on for days and days and days. And so, yes, sometimes it's Penny for the Guy, where you have a kind of figure that you put on a fire and set fire to, organize mm-hmm. bonfires, organize firework displays. So, yeah. I used to love it until I got pets, and now I hate it because we have cats, and they hate the loud noises. So, yeah, yeah not so fun. Do do you have the Fourth of July in the UK? No, like we a, don't celebrate skip straight anything. to the fifth. How, how do you, how do you get from the third to the fifth? Yeah, <laughs> just we don't talk about it. <laughs> it's like the thirteenth floor in hotels. We don't talk about them. We know they're there, mm-hmm. but no one wants yeah. to be on that floor. We just don't talk yeah. about it. Yeah. yeah. That that reminds me, do you do you have a uh, do you do you pay the was it the television license for the BBC? Do you pay that? Do you have Yes, that? TV license, yeah. Oh, so you get you you're going to you get the iPlayer. You you get all of mm-hmm. Doctor Who. I hate you. Mm-hmm. On one <laughs> streaming platform. On one streaming well, other than you don't get the first episode because the son of the guy who wrote it wants more money than the BBC is willing to pay him. But other than yeah. that, like you're getting everything on iPlayer. Oh, I hate you we, so much. We got a lot of great stuff on there, like Ghosts, BBC's uh, Ghosts TV show. There's an American remake now, but yeah, original- but we can yeah. we can get the we can get the BBC Ghosts on uh, on Max if we want to subscribe mm-hmm. to okay. Max. So nice. so if we want Doctor Who, for example, if we want classic Doctor Who, we have to subscribe to BritBox. If we want uh, okay. modern Doctor Who uh, through Jodie Whittaker, you have to get Max, and then the mm-hmm. new stuff with David Tennant. And the gentleman whose name I cannot pronounce to save my life, uh, Shudi, is it Shudi Gatwa? I think is how it's pronounced. pronounced. Let's say that possibly. <laughs> um, you have to have Disney Plus. You have to have Disney Plus. So oh, okay, we're we're very we're very spread out here. Anyway, Tracy has mm-hmm. like some stuff that she likes to do that makes us sound professional. <laughs> That's um, that might be an overestimation of of you know my giftedness here, but. So we're we're having you on for lots of reasons. One, you did us, um, did yourself, did us the solid of coming all the way to his side of the pond uh, last February of all times of the year, yuck, uh, in mm. Chicago, where uh, having asked 
Patrick Hester and and believing him, poor thing, um, about where one should go and when one should go to conventions in the U.S., he was like, you know what, Capricorn is is a good one, and that one's in Chicago. Um, probably didn't still waiting you in for advance. The check from them. I'm still waiting for the mm-hmm. check from them. They have not kept me a check for that. So, and so uh, I, I don't know that um, that he warned you about Chicago weather in February. Oh, but as I a did. native Chicagoan, I want to say I'm really sorry. Uh, <laughs> I believe I did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was. Oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't just tell him about Capricorn. He like he asked me like what what cons are still happening over there because after right? you know, yeah. COVID, like what's still happening and and I gave him a whole long list and uh, he decided on Capricorn all on his own. I didn't. I didn't push him. I could have gone to Colorado where I hear the weather is really nice, or I could go to Chicago in the middle of February. Mm, you know, what should like I go for? What's what is the difference, honestly? Really, I know. And I thought, you know, what what do I really want to do? And I thought, yeah, freeze. Let's go to Chicago in February. Right, Sounds yeah, fun. Yeah. I mean, the, the Colorado would have gotten you a little closer to circumnavigating the globe, though. So you know mm. that it, it wouldn't know, just... have been any warmer because Mile High Country Fifty Five <laughs> it snowed that weekend. It was horrible. <laughs> it was like the coldest weekend that we've had. That was our first big snow of the year. So yeah. Okay. Oh my god. So I, I, I also lose situation really. I also no. suggested like World Fantasy. I suggested uh ReaderCon was a good mm-hmm. Yeah, ReaderCon's a good Alta one. Cal- I been back in Boston. Yeah. 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 I haven't been Alta back to Con. that one in, in some time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh uh World Fantasy was in uh Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh you know, you could have gotten meat slathered with sauce that they call barbecue. Um <laughs> Wow, brutal. <laughs> <laughs> It's like Kentucky and him coming out there. Yeah. Oof. The whole, the whole thing. Kicking off. Okay. Food yeah. wars. But yeah, mm-hmm. he, he reached out and he asked, you know, what kind of cons are still happening. I gave him a whole list. He ended up at Capricorn, which is one of my favorites, despite- It is a know, good one. John Duke it is a good there, one. So. Yeah. yeah. It was good. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. But now, now you uh, you have something for us, or rather for the, for the world at large, and have uh, since July. So congratulations on starting a new series, and also um, to whom should we send the liquor um, that will that will power you through the remaining books? Uh, to you, I assume. But like you know, care yeah. of publisher. Don't don't, you know, don't, to be don't, don't, out. don't no 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 Stephen. Don't let her send you alcohol because she's in Chicago. She'll send you Malort and. Uh... Yeah. Uh, well, that's true. Yeah. What's that? Do oh, well, um, okay. So little background here. Um, Malort is awful. Um, it, is, <laughs> it is easily one of the worst things ever conceived by human beings. It probably is a war crime. Um, it's, it's unique in that it is a war crime, even in times of peace. Um, and so I, I don't know that very many things quite meet that threshold. Uh, but Malort is a, it's brewed only in Chicago. I, brewed, I guess, would it be? Um, distilled, I guess. It's distilled only in Chicago uh, by a company called Jepsum's. Um, and Jepsum's has like four employees. There's the dude who distills it. There's somebody who bottles it. There's a social media person, and then there's like Steve or something. Um, not you, clearly different Steve. Um, and so it is, it's a notorious beverage that goes back to like the early 1900s or so, and it's flavored with wormwood. Okay. And depending on who you <laughs> I talk love the to, face. I love the yeah, face. Yeah, yeah. It's like the anti-Grogu face right there. Um, depending on who you talk to, Malort either um, – tastes like an oil refinery fire or um like like kerosene um or like both 
or, you know, it tastes like the last thing you see before you die, you know, various there's, but one of the best things about Malort as a sort of institution is the fact that um, it is horrible and its horribleness is in and of itself part of its charm. There is a thing amongst some Chicagoans where you sort of introduce people to the city by taking them to a bar and giving them a shot of Malort and then you have to pay for all their expenses afterwards because <laughs> otherwise you'll be sued. Um, but you know, that for the longest time, they didn't have any kind of advertising staff. Like I said, three, four dudes. It's this tiny little little operation. They make all of, I don't know, maybe a thousand bottles in an entire year. Um, and they have the best ads, like the best slogans and things. Like, Malort, tonight's the night you fight your dad. Um, or, you know, like, uh, that's one of my favorites. Um, Malort, because your ass won't kick itself. Um <laughs> You know, um, Malort, because because if you're going to tell someone you hate them, you should do it in person. Um, and so they kind of like lean into the whole thing. And so this actually goes back specifically to Capricorn, because um, in the same year, uh, if I recall correctly, that you were able to join us at Capricorn. No, it was a year before because Patrick was there. Um, one of our longtime listeners and patrons of the podcast, Todd French there um and he it was his birthday yeah it was his birthday he was there to celebrate his birthday um and so i told him slash warmed him about malort and and since then it's become uh a continuing thing between us i do not know actually if todd has ever consumed the malort before um but i can tell you that i have and uh if i wasn't a teetotaler before Powerful stuff. I, I, no. I would. I, I. I just. I just came up with a, a whole new marketing campaign for Malort. It's. Mm. It's the redneck absent. Kind of. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. I, I got to admit, given hearing all of that, I'm not really sold on ever going near a bottle <laughs> of it or trying. No. It, no. It's honestly. It. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's people have it for the same reason that they think that like ghost peppers are a good idea, right? Like, yeah. no, no, or like Carolina Reapers and things. No one oh, actually likes those things. There's a new no. hottest pepper in the world. Oh, there oh, is. What, what now? There's a cool. new one. I can't remember the name of it, but there is a new one. I saw, I saw the, I saw an article about it. There, there is it's a new It's called like Punch Your Face or something? Or? It's, it, no, it's like, it's like ridiculously off the scale of the Scoville scale. If you'd have to know okay. Scoville. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's the heat. It, but it's it's like it's like three point nine trillion or something stupid like that. It's like it's like a ridiculous number uh, that's supposed to be the hottest new pepper. So I'm sure it'll end up on uh, the Tri Channel with the Irish people trying stuff, you know, soon. So it, it'll probably be on before we feast, which I watch yeah. because yeah. I like to see celebrities to get tortured whilst answering questions. So that's have, you, have you seen the video of David Blaine, the magician uh, on Hot Wings or the Hot Show, whatever? And they, they, they both like, they have the hottest pepper in the world and the host eats it, like bites into it. David Blaine mm. bites into it. And the host is just dying and David Blaine's just sitting there kind of chewing it. Like, okay. <laughs> how did he do it? Do we know? Yeah. How did he do it? That's the question. <laughs> Coated his mouth in Vaseline. Like, what I don't did know. he do? Yeah, so. Did, did you see when they had uh, Dave Grohl on, on the same one? Yeah. Did, did he see that one where he went on it as well? And he said, he went through and he ate, mo he ate all of them. And he said, oh, it's quite hot. And he did really, really well. And he got to the end and he said to the guy, I have a confession. And he said, what is it? He goes, I'm a fan of the show. I watch it. He goes, really? He goes, yeah. And I've actually bought all of these. And for the last <laughs> two years, 
after a gig. <laughs> like, I come okay home. powder training. <laughs> I come home after gigs or I'm a night out and I try a little bit and then I try the next one. He says, I've, okay. I've been basically preparing for this, like the Olympics for like two years, waiting to be asked to come on the show. But what he did as well was he made the host have a drink every time they had a chicken win. So it got harder for him to ask his very pertinent questions. And by the end of it, they were both drunk and their mouths were on fire. And Dave was like, I'm okay. I'm feeling, how are you? And the guy was like, I'm, I'm all right. Um, <laughs> normally he's fine with the hot wings, but with the drinks as well, he was just like, mm. yeah, this, this was too much. This was just way too oh, much. I, so. I actually liked, I liked the one where they had Bobby Flay on. And, and Bobby Flay is like, my, my goal here is to not cuss. Because people cuss when they're on the show. He's like, my goal mm-hmm. is not to cuss. And like two or three in, something hit him and he went, oh shit. And he goes, ah. And he just like threw up his hands. He's like, I, I blew it already. Like I couldn't believe it. Like yeah. he was, he was turning red. Anyway, so uh, apparently you write books. So he does. Yeah. Yeah. One something, like, there. something like that. that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, whole, the, whole, watching, the whole thing with new series and you send can, him a bottle. And that's how we ended up here. Yeah. You can tell you can tell when an old friend of the podcast comes back, and Stephen is an old friend of the podcast. He he came on many many years ago. When they come back, because we're like twenty minutes in before we start talking, about <laughs> they're like, writing. "Yeah, book, um, yeah, yeah. The, oh, yeah, wait, wait, yeah." <laughs> so 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 your vocation, yeah. So tell, tell us, us about, about your book, Blossom. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, I decided to do something completely different to what I've done because I get bored very very easily and like to challenge myself and like to torture myself. So I thought I'd write a historical fantasy series set in 13th century Persia, as you do. As one does. Yeah. You know, um, and I spent the two previous years before I started writing it, doing research in various forms, so that by the end of this trilogy, I'll have been working on it for five years in total. Um, mm. And, and that, I'm kind of reaching breaking point where every time I get to the end of the series, I'm kind of bored and done with it because I've been working on it so long before you actually start writing it. Right. Um, so those who managed a really long running series, I used to be one of those fans chomping at the bit going, come on, write the next book. Come on, Jim Butcher. I want that next Dresden file book. Now I'm like, <laughs> the fact that he hasn't killed anybody or himself and he's still mm. writing those books is a blessing. If he takes two years between books, three years, I'm okay with that. You know, as long as they keep coming out and they have, the last 20 years whereas you know i get the end of the trilogy i'm like i'm so done with this i need to do something new because i've been working on it for a couple of years beforehand and i'm just like i'm two chapters away from the end of writing the uh, judas blossom book three and then that first draft is done uh i hand in at christmas and that's it i walk away until i come back in january and do edits but the actual (laughs) writing part the real hard well the, the first drafting part is done but uh, so yeah, before you fell out of love with the very stories <laughs> you're writing right now, you fell in love though with with this idea. And so I guess what you're not wrong when you say that you wanted to do something completely different to what you've done in the past. So what mm. what about twelve sixty in the Mongol Empire made you go, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's the ticket. That, that's the that's the sweet spot in fantasy. Right. No one's gone here before. No one's gone here before. Wow, you know what? Um, so lo- lots of things. Um, I had an interest in that period in history anyway. I like a lot of kind of the Mongol stuff. I've read lots of things about it. I've watched lots of stuff like the Marco Polo Netflix TV show. was fascinating. I love that show. Oh, and it was such a good show. Exactly. But it's one of these things where, you know, sometimes you watch any historical show and – 
you think, well, how much is it is accurately you know, is accurate and right? And they have to change some things because it's an adaptation for a new medium and all that kind of stuff. But the more you pay attention to certain things, you go, actually, that bit's really right. And I know they move things around, but that's a really good detail. And it's only if you've watched or you've read about some of this stuff, you pick it up. And so I kept thinking about that. I kept thinking about the books I'd been reading and the fact that I wanted to do something more more grounded, having done very magic heavy series and yeah. uh, kind of quest novels and reinvented them a previous series. I want to do something different. So I thought about this period in history. I thought about uh, my heritage because my, my dad comes from Iran and that part of my family and I was born there. And, and I thought, you know, in the time of Marco Polo and Kublai Khan, there were these four areas of the Mongol Empire, and one of them is is set in what is the modern-day Middle East. And no one's ever done, as far as I know, an adult fantasy series in that part of the world in this time period. Um, mm-hmm. there are, there's been historical fiction. So Con Egulden is a great historical fiction writer, and he's done lots of great fictional novels about the Mongol Empire. Um but no one's ever done it in this part of the world and had a fantasy element. Um, and I thought, that sounds like a really difficult thing. Let's have a go at that. <laughs> I didn't even realize that the Mongol Empire covered the Mideast in that way. I guess I'm just it, a, a historical ding-dong. It's enormous. So it, I think what they say, it was the largest um, landmass empire in the world um, for, for a long, long time. I think it was bigger than the Roman Empire. So it stretched, it stretched to the edge of Europe it was most of Russia. It was most of the Middle East. It was creeping into Africa because they were butting up against the Egyptians and fighting them. So there are the four big sections, and they were obviously attacking um, the Delhi Sultanate and going towards India. So there's these four huge kind of expanses. And we know about the bit that's Kublai Khan because that's China, and he's, he's taking on that empire. We know the stuff to do with Russia and Mongolia, but no one's ever done stories around this area that the fact that covers modern-day you know, Iran, Iraq, Syria, Afghanistan, and part through the countries, and it kind of bled into all of these areas, and they're constantly pushing west. And the commun- some things we take for granted now, like the fact that I'm talking to you on the other side of the world instantaneously is miraculous. But back then, their communication techniques were so good, you could get a message across the Mongol Empire in, I don't know, say, say two weeks. But by normal methods, it would take several months because of mm-hmm. their kind of transport system and the roads and um the the Khans in the Mongol Empire regularly sent letters to people in Europe as they would expect them to come down so the Pope got letters quite often saying come along on bended knee because eventually we're going to get there and take over everything yeah. so it's in your best interests um the King of France had them the King of England and they were sending the letters that historical documents still exist from the Mongols saying well eventually we'll get round to you so you may as well come along and you know surrender now it's only a matter of time um, so it's just these, we take communication, you know, so for granted today and so fast and the, the world was so connected now. But back then, parts of it were really well connected. And it's these kind of discoveries that probably kept me going through the research. <laughs> right, right. So well, I, I find we, it, we, I'm sorry, I find it interesting that you think that, that the the television productions and stuff aren't accurate because i i find that if you don't read any like historical uh books or books on any of that like that 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 those are 100 percent accurate like you can believe yeah. everything that's in them like vikings for example like that yeah i mean my god that definitely all happened it's accurate and when that holds on the helmets you know yeah ancient you know, aliens 100 percent accurate <laughs> totally yeah 
Yeah. You know, there's, there's teacher shortages in some places in the United States as well. So, you know, we're, we're doing our best to patch the holes and things. So if we can't get everything covered in American history, we just give them a copy of Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, and we'll be like, look, it's mostly fine. There you go. Yeah. 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 Great book. What's Historically accurate. I, it's all I know about America now. So that's what I really want to tell people about America. Yeah. Read yeah. this book. Pipe he was a great hunter. Chucking axes. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> It's what we do, apparently. <laughs> yep. I, I mean, it's actually not wildly inaccurate, depending if, on if you read, where you're looking. If you, if you read some of my more obscure stuff, you'll know that uh, Doc Holliday was a vampire. So Makes sense, Ooh. given the condition and you know the lung, the lung issues and being very pale. Yeah. And all that That's stuff. it, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. A lunger. Wasn't mm-hmm. actually a lunger. He was actually uh, yeah. a vampire. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Only thing keeping him going, that. So I guess one of the things that I always, because we, we've had other people who work in sort of like historical fantasy and have kind of um, had to thread that needle between the the parts of the story they want to kind of adventure into and make of their own and the parts of mm. the story that are sort of rooted in the reality of, of time and place and space and all of that. Um, and it's clear that you're very conscious of wanting to have your context and that you knew you wanted to do this much more grounded approach. And so I, I wonder, did you find yourself talking to other writers who had worked in historical fiction and historical fantasy in a way that was different than what you were accustomed to. Like, I I can understand that you might research things a little differently or with a little bit more depth, but I'm kind of interested in whether or not you found yourself um, kind of connecting with other writers whose approach you also know to be just different from your own. So I I read things like um, Shelley Parker Chan's She Became the Sun, which mm. there again is historical fantasy because it's historically accurate up to a point. And then she's put a number of her own spins on it. And one thing I took from that book, having read it at the front, it has a great author's note saying what she was trying to do. And I said to my publisher, I would like one of those, please, because when the book comes out, I will mm. get emails from historians saying, well, technically, I think you'll find this isn't true and that isn't true. And so I was like, she's done it. I am I would like one of those to kind of yeah. forewarn yeah. some of these people and to point out that has the word fantasy somewhere on the back of the book and it's fiction and I'm not try- I'm not historian. I mean, I knew I would get some things wrong. I knew I would because I'm an amateur researcher of a couple of years. So I, I, I got to the point where I stopped worrying about some of these things because my, my primary goal was to tell an interesting and dramatic story that was the driving force, not to be 100% historically accurate because that would have taken another 10 years of research. And mm-hmm. my publisher isn't going to wait that long. They're not as generous as some, you know. I don't know if you would want to wait that long either. You'd, you'd no. fall out of love too quick. Yeah, yeah. That, that that actually brings up an awkward thing that I wasn't going to mention, but now I am. In your book, you used a, <laughs> used a specific blanket on a horse. Yep. Uh, yep. And they mm. didn't have that type of weave at that time. No. It was a, that's a this modern weave in the blanket. Yeah. Yep. I mean, come yep. on. I mean, I mean, te- <laughs> technically, there are certain things in the book that don't exist at that period, but I decided to keep them anyway. I had conversations mm. with my dad, who basically knew a lot more about some of these parts of the world than me. Uh, and I asked him certain questions and he was like, well, it could have been this or it could have been that. We're not completely sure. I'm like, that's good enough for me. It worked for me. That's what I'm going with, Dad. Thanks, Dad. I heard you just say, do what you want. And I like that. That's not, I can, no, no, no. That's what I heard. So that's what I'm going with. Yeah, yeah. Translating from Dad, that's what I got. But it's this weird things. So my dad told me that when he was growing up as a, as a boy in Iran, that um, coffee wasn't a thing. 
but it did exist. And that all of the tea houses, when you translate them, are called coffee houses. And so when he was about 14, he asked his dad that. His dad was like, don't ask silly questions. <laughs> dad, there's no coffee in this place. Why is why is it a coffee house? Oh yeah, it didn't exist. But it, it, but it was there. But it, it's all about the, like, the history and the words. And there again, now I start digging into history of language. I'm like, yeah, now I'm going too far down the rabbit hole. I'm yeah. straying too far from telling the story. So that's what I, I keep reining myself back in and be like, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. Let's just keep moving forward and we'll come back to that at some point. Did you have a favorite I, I, rabbit hole? <laughs> like like um, one where you were like, I wish I could keep going, but. Yeah, kind of. One of the things that is in the book, which is factually uh, true, there's a, um, it's a martial art and way of like thinking and meditation called um, Zerkane, which translates in Farsi from um, the House of Strength. And it's, it is a martial art and it's a wrestling style and all these other kind of things in a spiritual system, but it's real and it's been going for kind of hundreds, probably even thousands of years at this point. And I started watching videos about it on YouTube and I started falling down that rabbit hole and I was like, no, I've got, well, I'll just watch a couple more. And then I started reading about it and it's a whole kind of thing. And I was like, this is just fascinating. I'll come back to this. So yeah, I, I went back to that well a few times mm-hmm. and uh, had great fun researching. And there again, I've tried to be as accurate as possible on that because it was really, really interesting, but I had to pair a lot of stuff back because otherwise the book would have been three times as long. I didn't want to be <laughs> the kind of thing of, I've done the research, so now you're going to have to suffer through it because I'm going to yeah. push it into the story somewhere. Not necessarily accurate or necessary for the story, but you're going to read it because I've done the work. Yeah, there's a scale here. There's where you want yeah. to be, and then there's like Ken Follett is over here. I was just going to say the same thing. <laughs> Ken Follett, yes. Yeah. yeah. I read Pillars of the Earth. Earth. I liked it. And after that, I was like, I'm good. Like I, I was going to be like Dan really Brown. Good. Like, you know, I've spent five years researching about stuff on, on this. You're going to know about it now, and we'll get back to the story in a while. <laughs> when I there's a it. There's an episode of Travel Man uh, with Richard Ayoade where they, they go to a um, – they go to a church somewhere and he walks up and he's like, this is, this is what is considered to be the Holy Grail. Like the Vatican has said, this is potentially the Holy Grail. Dan Brown wasted all of those books and all that time. It's right here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He could have just come right here, but yeah, yeah, he's whatever. like, why did he just come right. here? No. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> That's hilarious. All right. So, so doing a bit of a swerve here, um, mm. but I noticed in your bio, I always like when there, when there's little sort of, bits in a bio to kind of dig into a little bit here um, that you, you describe yourself in at least one version of your bio as, as spending time when you're not writing, drinking real ale and reading comics. And yes. so I, you know, I, I'm very curious as to what in the Stephen Aryan verse is real ale. Like what is the real ale? Where, where <laughs> Who makes okay. it? Where does it got? So I think in America you call it craft beer. Okay. All right. So yeah. instead of like, you know, mass produced, Budweiser or whatever kind of thing, right. um, mm-hmm. you know, you get off the pump. Real ale would be much smaller produced uh, beer in different kinds of varieties. So I, I do drink. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm not a wine person. I'm not a whiskey person. I don't, I don't really do like spirits. I don't really know anything about them. But beer mm-hmm. is my thing. I know the kind of what I like and what I don't like. Um, so I like Italian lagers and beers. And on holiday, yeah. I'll sit by a pool and drink one of them. But at home, I'm very much a dark beer. So it's like stouts yeah. and porters and guinness yeah. is an example of a great dark beer or, or, a, or right. a stout um and that's the kind of thing i'm into I, i'm constantly hunting 
uh, the supermarket when I go to the beer aisle and browsing for ones like, oh, I've not tried that before. Or, oh, I go to like, a, you know, fairs and festivals and you get to try different beers. And yeah, that's my kind of thing. Is there like a particularly funky craft beer where you're not sure if you liked it or not, but you were like, this is very memorable? Uh, marshmallow uh, um, coffee porter I had recently, like 8% oh, okay. beer. And right. I was like, this is getting a little medicine-y and a little too Much-ish. strong, but yeah. got a little bit of yeah. a sugary edge that I'm not quite sure if I like. So yeah, that was that was a little weird. Yeah, there used to I be have... a there used to be a liquor store on my way home from work. And when I would do game nights on Friday nights, I had a couple of people who would come over who, who were into beer. And one of them is JT, one of our patrons. Uh, Giles is another one uh, from Beyond the Trope. And uh, I would stop into that liquor store because you could do a you could do a random six pack. So you could get all the little craft beers, like you could get several bottles. And they were usually taller bottles. Like it wasn't like a, a single mm. serving. They were like a double or a triple serving. So like you could mm-hmm. share. And I would get like six random different beers and bring them home for them. Cause I don't drink, you know, and I would just randomly pick shit. Uh, out of the refrigerator <laughs> Is this any and, good? And, thing. Yeah. and, and yeah, and I take, I bring them home and I'm like, here you go guys, you know, try them. And they would try them and they're like, Oh, this one's good. That one's not blah, 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 blah. And, uh, yeah. but I used to do that for game night. So that's kind of funny. I, I did make a, a beer for one of my books, uh, when it was coming out for, um, my fourth book, Mageborn, I did a thing with a local brewery and said, could we make a beer and do the PR around it and all the rest of it? So um, we did. I went down with them. I spent the day, you know, doing doing the whole thing. We got a local photographer to come down, although it it, it turned into a little bit of a strange day. Um, mm. let's, let's just say that. <laughs> let's just say that. Do you remember uh, much of this strange day? <laughs> <laughs> yeah so okay I'll, t- I'll tell you what happened the brewery at the time was was quite small it's grown since but it was in this let's say it's a shed it wasn't a shed it was like a you know a small place but because right, right. you're boiling the water and pouring the stuff in and it's a lot of steam coming off and the photographer came in and you know I got really hot so I took my coat off and I just had like a t-shirt on and I'm a bit kind of sweaty and you know the diet coke advert the kind of Oh, sure, you know, yeah. yeah. So suddenly the guy's there with his Zoom lens that's getting steam on it, and I'm there trying to pour the stuff in. He's going to get trying to get an in-action photo, and it, it got a little bit kind of homoerotic whilst we were doing the photos. <laughs> oh, all right. Yeah. And I thought, hmm. He wasn't like a little more shoulder, a little more shoulder, but it got a little strange that when we opened the door, the steam kind of poured out, and these four large bearded men, we, and got, we all came out, and people were like, what was going in on then? In sweaty. Yeah. And a guy with a yeah. long lens Zoom camera. It was very odd, but um, it was an interesting day, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but the beer was good. We brewed it. Um, and on when I looked at the launch, the local Waterstones, which is licensed, I chose it carefully. Mm-hmm. We yeah. had Mage Beer on sale and the book on sale. So buy a beer, sit and drink it whilst we're talking, and nice. to take some home as well. And the brewers came along and they were there. So it was a good day. It was good fun. That is really cool. Like sounds like the brewer hopped to it a little bit there. They hopped to uh, it. Oh, oh, God. <laughs> uh. yeah. So I'm not a, I'm not a coffee person and I'm not a beer person, but I'm very much tea person. And mm-hmm. some people in my life are, are well, let's face it, basically anybody who knows me um, knows that. And so I, I not infrequently end up getting tea as gifts from people and it's lovely and I'll never turn it down or anything, but there have sometimes been teas that people have given me where I was, I would sort of look at them and be like, Oh, this is, thank you. This is 
just thank you. Um, and then I, she's, she's, you know, she's I go home and I, I gave her some Lipton. She's talking about when I gave her Lipton. Basically, she doesn't want to say it was happened. you. I never. You know it was you, but I, I got it. I understood without you right, saying it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so a while back, one of my colleagues at work, uh, just on a lark, not for any particular occasion, uh, bought a little box of, of uh, an Earl Grey blend. And it was a chocolate Earl Grey. Ooh, um, okay. And I thought to myself, like, all right, this could have some legs on it. Let's see. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> it was a thing that, that should not have been. Um, oh, it, it was a little bit like someone had described a Terry's chocolate orange to someone who mm. had never experienced chocolate before and then yeah, sort of like it, went out into a yard and did some um, – you know, did, did did a little bit of cleaning up and whatnot, and maybe maybe you raked up some leaves and sort of put all of that together, and then was like, "Here, brew this." I, I, I can't <laughs> imagine because Earl Grey. I can't imagine chocolate with Earl Grey at all. I was I was intrigued and apprehensive, and my apprehension was warranted. Um, <laughs> and I I for a while that just sat in little individually sealed foil packets in a drawer at work until finally I was like, I'm not going to give this away to anyone because I believe in the humanitarian impulse. Um, and so I, uh, yeah, that just went in the trash. <laughs> fair. Uh, Sounds fair. Yeah. See here right now, there's lots of like pumpkin spice beer happening. Oh yeah. Yeah. Stuff mm -hmm. like that. You know, they, they, they start making that kind of stuff about this time of year because we're, we're getting yeah. into the Thanksgiving uh, here in America. So there tends to be a lot of that happening. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's mm -hmm. anything you'd be interested in or yeah, no, no, no. I mean, this, <laughs> the, the pumpkin spice phenomenon, I think is a, is a pretty soundly American invention um, that I, I think is looked at with warranted skepticism from, from other parties. Um <laughs> It's very streaky. Well, like some, it, you can pumpkin it, spice it, some things, but maybe not like you know. Please get your pumpkin spice out of that sausage, for God's sake. Um, I, I have, you know. I have, I've literally never asked this question, but I, I'm, I don't <laughs> understand. I don't understand like why. So Guinness is a great example. You mentioned Guinness. Mm -hmm. um, Guinness is typically served warm. I hope not. No, like, not, <laughs> not, not, but not not refrigerated. It's not, it's not, it's not no, ice cold like it is here. It should be cold, I, but it shouldn't be refrigerated, I believe. It's, I mean, I lived in Ireland for, for the better part of a year. And I, I can tell you that they won't haul a Guinness out of a fridge for you, but what you get out of the tap is cold. Mm -hmm. It is like still cold. Okay. I, thought the was whole, I don't know where the American notion that Guinness is served room temperature in, yeah. in Europe comes from, but that's just, just not true. I thought no. that was. No, it's, no. Like, it's like, cold. and this it's isn't like, recent either. This is like twenty years ago that I was getting perfectly cold Guinness out of taps huh. in Galway. You know, mm. I thought it, I thought it was mm. served uh, less chilled than in America. I don't know, maybe, I hope but not. it's not warm. It's not <laughs> like it's not. If you had your hand on that glass, that pint glass there, and then mm. you had your hand on a pint glass that was room temperature, you would one hundred percent know that one of them was cold. Mm -hmm. now, there's not going to be ice now floating you, in now it. Now you got me wanting to invest a Google it. Invest a Google it. Yeah, I mean, I guess you is can. is. I mean, it's a it's is Guinness served cold? Despite the rumors, Guinness beer should always be served cold. There you go. Okay. 
Beer is a food product Mm -hmm. and should be treated as one. The longer and more consistently you keep your beer at the proper cold temperatures, the slower the aging process of that beer. Mm -hmm. Okay. There you go. go. Yeah. That's why we have Midwestern beer fridges. You you learn something every day. Now I know. And knowing is half the battle. Indeed. Indeed. But wait, we've got the other before before we we lose track of it. There is another bit in the 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 provocative bits of the bio that I wanted to get to. So if you're spending time drinking real ale and reading comics, I need to ask on behalf of um, some of our our listeners here, what are the comics? So uh, okay, Re- so the last thing I just read was um, Five Years by Terry Moore. Okay, this is the kind of. <sighs> the end of his Terryverse for now, which started with Strangers in Paradise and went through a whole bunch of other things. This was bringing lots of his characters together in one kind of team-up adventure mm-hmm. that they have to stop something happening. Uh, they've got, the world basically has five years left before it, this bomb gets invented, and it's about them trying to prevent it. So, yeah, it's right, he lives in... Houston, Texas. That they think the world has five years left. I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, there, there could be other circumstances, right? But specifically, the bomb-related circumstances. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Story. Yes, there's only five yeah. years. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, Terry Moore. Um, I've got Rorschach to read the new kind of. Um, oh, Watchmen, sort of. Hard, yeah. yeah, the kind of Tom King thing. I've got that to read. I, I cannot um, read Rorschach because it just makes me think about my mom. <laughs> Yeah, I got it. I just—I I was dude. waiting for the kind of laughter yeah. track to kick in. No, there's no laughter. There's a, there's a, there's a groan track, maybe. Oh, no. Yeah, okay. there yeah, go. there you go. There well earned, well earned. Well done. I feel like we're we're kind of setting the mood now with the whole what are, what are we reading, what are we drinking thing. But picks of the week, picks time. We we can certainly do picks of the week. And yes, Stephen, that was Mr. Nelio's voice. He is still with us in spirit, at least. In spirit. Ghost in the machine. <laughs> yes. So what has been bringing you joy, Patrick? Oh, I got two this week because uh, I want to mention both of these. Uh, the first one is uh, the last single from the Beatles, Now and Then, hmm. was released a couple of days ago. Uh, this was this was this came about uh, originally. They were going to do it as part of the anthology series that they did back in the '90s. I think it was the '90s. But they 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 had uh, Yoko had given them uh, a couple of uh, cassettes and tracks that John had done, and they that's how they did uh, "Free as a Bird" and "Real Love." And then the third one was supposed to be "Now and Then," but the, there was too much stuff going on they mm-hmm. couldn't pull john's voice they couldn't separate it from the piano or the street noise because apparently like he had the windows open and there was a lot of street noise happening in the background and so even though they they tried and george recorded some stuff and they 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 recorded other things and some vocals and they just couldn't get it where they wanted so they shelved it and then when peter jackson did his get back he invented a technology that pulled voices out of old archive video so they could have more conversations and, mm. and pull out the conversations that the Beatles were having during that session. So they ended up using that to separate John's voice out from the rest of the stuff. Hmm. And that made it possible for them to do this track now. And then they went back and they got, they got the stuff that George had done 
because of course George passed away. Uh, and then they they layered on some new stuff with Paul and Ringo and put out Now and Then. And it's a it's a really neat track. I, I'm enjoying it quite a bit. Uh, so that's number one. Number two is there's a documentary on Netflix right now called It Ain't Over. And this is about Yogi Berra. And uh, the, the, the genesis of it is his granddaughter was watching an all-star game and they brought out four players and they said these were the four greatest living ball players today. It was like Hank Aaron and a bunch of other people. And she turned and she looked at her grandfather, Yogi Berra, and she says, are you dead? <laughs> he said, I don't think so. And he had, he had more accomplishments than all four of those guys put together. Like, and they didn't even think about him for this, this honor. And saying he had 10 seasons in uh, major league baseball. He had 18, uh, he was an 18 time all-star. He won 10 world series championships as a player more than any other player in MLB history. He had a career batting average of 285 while hitting 358 home runs and over 1400 RBIs. He is one of only six players to win the American league most valuable player award three times. And he wasn't on that stage. He wasn't out there in the game. And so this documentary is all about him and his accomplishments and, and everything that he gave to the Yankees and to, to baseball. It's really, really good. It, like if you need a baseball fix, this is your baseball fix. And it's just, it's just a wonderful, wonderful documentary. And, and I do love baseball. I don't get to watch it uh, as much as I would like. Uh, but this was, this was great. So that's my other pick. It ain't over the documentary about Yogi Berra. Very nice. Very nice. So how about you, Stephen? Do you have one or more picks? <laughs> so the okay, the very first quick one is another documentary because you said it. I've just watched the Sly documentary on Netflix that came out oh, about Sylvester yeah. Stallone. Um, mm. This was on the back of doing the one that came out about Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I prefer the Arnie one only because it was in three parts. There was a lot more detail to it and it went through the three phases of his life. And there were things in there that I didn't know as someone who grew up watching all of the action movies, you know, the last, last 40 years, I thought I knew everything about Arnie, but there was some stuff in there that was fascinating. That was quite revealing. That was quite shocking about his childhood and things that I just, I hadn't known about him and he's achieved so much. And then when you found out some of the things he'd gone through to get there. So that one was really, really good. The Sylvester Sloan one is only like a one part. It's like an hour and a half. And it was okay, but there wasn't anything new. Like if you know, you know the stuff, you know the stuff. So that was, that was the first pick. My second pick is I've just finished my first time ever watching of Star Wars Rebels, the animated show, Ooh, in the lead up nice. to Ahsoka. Now everyone was like, you don't have to, and blah, blah, blah. And I haven't watched a lot of the animated stuff just because I just kind of struggle with animated shows in general. But I wanted to watch this one. So I just finished it yesterday and then straight away watched the first episode of Ahsoka. And everything made so much more sense. I didn't, I wouldn't, if I hadn't watched it, I'd be sitting there going, who's that? Who are they talking about? What's that mean? Who wears so-and-so? What's, what? And I, I got everything. So I felt like it was a great primer to then go into Ahsoka and understand something. Although something happened in the first episode of Ahsoka and I, and I messaged my friend who knows a lot more about this and said, have I missed another show? Because they mentioned something. He goes, no, no, they've jumped that. They, they kind of, that's somewhere between the panels. I'm like, oh, so I didn't miss anything else. He said, no, no, no. <laughs> We just don't know about that. They'll come to it. I'm like, 
oh, all right, okay. I thought I'd done my research well by watching Rebels, which was amazing and really, really good and a lot darker than I was expecting. Yeah. But yeah, I'm now ready for Ahsoka. I'm one episode in. I've got seven more to go, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rebel, Rebels is good. It starts off, it starts off in, like when I first watched it, I thought, oh, this is a kid's show. This is totally a kid's show. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to enjoy this. And then it matured as it, as it went on. And then, you know, spoiler alert, you get to that, you get to that moment with Kanan towards the end. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know what you you're mean. Just yeah, like, yeah. You're just like, oh my God. Uh huh. It hits yeah. you in the feels so hard. You're like, no, they can't. <gasps> and then they do. And you're just mm-hmm. like, no. And then, yeah, there's the, there's also the, the Sith temple, mm-hmm. right? The Sith temple. Oh. Yeah. There's a lot of really oh. cool stuff there to do with the yeah. Jedi and the Sith and power and responsibility and beauty and, and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a great photo uh, montage that shows Ashley, Eckstein is that her name with uh, Rosario Dawson and it's like a soda yeah. and then it shows uh, the two actors who basically played Darth Maul and then it shows like the two actors who played Obi-Wan and the two mm-hmm. actors who played Anakin you know the voice actors with the with the mm-hmm. other ones oh yeah Rebels was good Rebels I like it's really good yeah so seeing the live action uh, version of some of these characters that I've watched the last kind of a year suddenly come to life that was really really good did, so. you, did yeah. you ever watch Clone Wars no, no, never saw it. I, I tell you what, if you if you if you get into Ahsoka and you like Ahsoka, the mm-hmm. the special that they did, the last uh like the last season of Clone Wars that they did for Disney Plus. Yeah. There's some really, really amazing stuff in that last season, and it's all about Ahsoka. Oh, okay. All about Ahsoka. And it takes you right up into that moment uh of Order sixty six. Yeah. All right. Okay. Good stuff. <laughs> All right. So um, I'm a follower. Hell, I'll do two picks as well. Um, and I'm going to start with a sort of serious pick, and then I'm going to try and lighten the mood again a little bit. Um, so we're recording this on November 4th, and uh, we are at this point a slightly less than a month away from the beginning of the really uh, brutal hostilities uh, happening right now in the Mideast uh, between... Hamas and Israel. And, uh, you know, I have to own the fact that I have grown up in the world knowing vanishingly little uh, about the history of the region, about the formation of Israel as a state, about that formation's impact on its on its uh, neighbor nations and, and so on. And so um, I've been spending an awful lot of time listening to different podcasts and sort of jumping around different media spaces, trying to get a grip on what I don't know so that I can try to contextualize all of this really um, sort of brutal, disturbing information that's coming out and and figure out, not that it matters to the universe, sort of um, how I how I kind of process these things, but I think it matters to me um, how I kind of make sense of the violence on some level. And so I can uh, kind of try to approach whatever response to it I can have responsibly. Um, And I think the best thing that I found so far for it uh, was actually an episode of The Daily, which is a New York Times podcast. Uh, You can access it on all sorts of different podcast platforms for free. Um, The episode itself runs about uh, 40 minutes in total. Um, 
Actually, I think it might be slightly less. Uh, yeah, no, it runs about 44 minutes in total. And the episode is called 1948. Uh, the air date on it was November 3rd. So at time of recording, just yesterday. Um, and the the it's it, an interview with uh, the Jerusalem bureau chief of um, the, for the New York Times, uh, who has... He's since retired, and he's been working for years on a book about the history of the 1948 war uh, between Israel and the neighbor Arab nations um, that resisted the formation of, of, of Israel. And it, the whole function of that episode is to try to provide a context for the two entirely diametrically composed uh, and entirely irreconcilable narratives of what happened during the War of 48. Uh, and what it means for the people of their their respective communities. And it kind of helps give uh, people like me who don't have an understanding, uh, personal or otherwise, the background that we need to kind of contextualize where all of um, the kind of ongoing hostility uh, and the, the narratives of victimhood on both sides sort of have their roots. And so it's a really good listen. Uh, if you have been feeling like I have been, that you need a way of making sense of this, I would highly recommend checking out the Daily Podcast 1948 episode. Um, so yeah, okay, that was super heavy, um, much less fun than Rebels and Ahsoka. So my fun pick, the the palate cleanser, which is also a deeply stupid pick. Uh, <laughs> I need to own that too. Is uh, you know we just got done with Spooktoberween, and uh, one of the things that Husbeast and I did towards the end of the month was just stay up late and find a movie to watch together. And so we ended up watching uh, a movie that came out earlier this year in 2023, starring Nicolas Cage and Nicholas Holt, Renfield. Um, mm -hmm. And you may recall having seen previews for this. The basic upshot of it is Renfield, who is uh, iconic to and, and uh, original to Bram Stoker's narrative of Dracula, is kind of the familiar and servant um, who serves at the behest of Dracula. Um, he's he's imprisoned up in Carfax Abbey and all that sort of there's, – there's all sorts of stuff in the original background of the story. Well, this sort of catapults Renfield and, and uh, Dracula into modernity, specifically into New York. And uh, in that modernity, we finally have a situation where Renfield has decided that he's in a toxic relationship and he wants to create distance between himself and Dracula. And so he starts attending a 12-step um, program type self-help group and – hilarity and ridiculous over-the-top bloody violence ensues. Um, and when I say this is a deeply stupid pick, I mean, like, this is this is a dumb movie. Like, it is, if someone just gave Nick Cage a pile of money and said, be as ham as possible, and he leaned super hard into it and clearly enjoyed himself doing it. Um, but the fight choreography is wonderfully over the top. Um, the violence is campy and extreme, but never actually legitimately disgusting. Um, it has kind of fantastic casting. And despite its stupidity, it's really smartly told. It's an hour and 33 minutes. What live action movie anymore is an hour and 33 minutes? Uh, so it's sort of narratively tight in that respect. Every piece of the animal ends up being used. Everything you see in the early scenes ends up being important for later. Um, and so I was 
I felt after watching it that I very much wanted to watch it again as kind of a craft exercise and sort of what happens if you manage to do some pretty exceptional storytelling and you also do not care if people think that this is silly because you know it's silly. Mm-hmm. Um, and and weirdness I'll, 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 I'll throw out that the yeah. third the third member of the cast is Aquafina, and I love her. Yes. Yeah. She's hilarious. Um, who is not actually She's someone I've good. actually seen in movies before, um, but I was oh, impressed. Really? Okay. Yeah, no, I mean, I know that she's done plenty of them, like Crazy Rich yeah, Asians, she's been, Asians yeah, whatever yeah, else, Shang-Chi, she was, was in that. Yeah. Like, I know she's got lots of credits to her, to her name now, but I had no familiarity with her actual work. Um, this has a great show so yeah. called uh, Aquafina is Nora from Queens. Okay, yeah. And that's a, that's okay. a good one, too. Uh, have yeah. have so, you yeah. seen Fr- Freaky, a 2020 film? <laughs> No. So you know you know Freaky Friday films where someone switches bodies and so in the kind of same silly vein of of brutal and, and and violence you have this guy who's like a serial killer in a mask like a Jason type figure um, it's Vince Vaughn and you know he does comedy but he's a very very large man and he's got this mask on and he's going around killing teenagers except he goes into a house and he finds this weird dagger and when he stabs a teenage girl. He freaky Fridays with her. Oh no! <laughs> so you got Vince Vaughn in the body of a of a high school cheerleader who doesn't isn't liked by anybody, and then you've got this serial killer in the body of a sixteen year old girl who is terrifying. And suddenly he's <laughs> all flappy hands as this six foot seven guy, and everyone's like, "What is wrong with you? You're a maniac!" It's hilarious, <laughs> but again, it plays with the tropes, and it's done so well. It's very yeah, bloody. Yeah. It's very violent in places. Oh, yeah. yeah. But very funny. But it's a great exercise in they've taken something and they've flipped it and they've mashed Friday the 13th with Freaky Friday. And it is so well done. I laughed and thought, I kind of want to watch it again, like you said, to say they've acknowledged all of the tropes and they know the way that works in both films. And then they Mm -hmm. flip some things around and modernized it. Really funny. Really good. Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes we need to give... Give say, even they, things they, that are kind of dumb that credit. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. they let they let Nick Cage like lean hard into being this over the top Dracula character in Red yeah. So it's the same kind yeah. of thing. Like he, he, you know, he for for the longest time he's done so many really shitty movies, and then <laughs> and then like they put oh, him yeah. in this, and and he was just he was fantastic. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I, I, just to to throw it uh, out there, they. If you haven't seen The Flash, apparently at the end of The Flash, there's all these cameos. And one of them is the infamous Nick Cage Superman from oh, no. the uh, the Tim um, Burton. Oh, what's his face? Burton. Yeah. From the Tim Burton movie that that ended up not being there. Mm. And uh, so there's an article and and they talk about how uh, he was actually there. He was there on set in costume for this cameo. Yep. And he's like, he's like, but none of the stuff that I did actually made it into the movie. I think they all just did CGI stuff instead. <laughs> he's like, I was happy to be there and I'm happy that the costume was there and like all the work that we put into it was kind of acknowledged, but like it wasn't me. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> womp, womp. Womp. All right. Well, this has been a hell of a ride. Thank you for being with us on it, Stephen. Where can people find you? Find your books. Keep reading uh, the series that emerges out of the out of the Judas Blossom and and make you feel ever so grateful for your five years of research and work. <laughs> yeah, you know, you better read it. Uh, okay, so I, I'm my website is a good place to to get me um, Stephen-Arian.com. Instagram. 
I am on Twitter, but I don't really use it anymore. I just post updates. I'm on Blue Sky, but there again, it's so kind of weird and new. Yeah. Everything's think, bad. Yeah, I have a YouTube channel where I do writing advice videos, but I also post updates on my work there. So I think the best place is Instagram and my website to stay up to date with what's going on. Oh, and I have a newsletter that I've started, so that that right. as well. Right. It's all funny right. that we're we're all going back to old things that like old things are coming out like what's well, yeah. a newsletter? Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I don't think anybody. Uh, sorry, I don't think anybody in the writing in the publishing world like any like knows how to market anymore without Twitter. It's like Twitter's gone for them for the most part. So they're like, what do I do now? And they're just trying to figure it out, and it's fun. Like it, it, you know, it's like people just trying to figure it out, and I'm, they're trying to turn everything into book talk. Yeah, and something something's going to come Ugh. out of it eventually, but it's it's that gap between there and now. It's like mm-hmm. it's the wasteland. So yeah, it's yep. Just yep. It's a wild west all over again. Yeah, what do you yep. do when Twitter dies? Finally mm-hmm. dies. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on. But, absolutely, You're yeah, my pleasure. You. My pleasure. So. All four seasons of Lower Decks take place in a single year, timeline-wise? That's a lot of refits for the poor Cerritos. Cerritos strong! Anyway, thanks for listening. Remember to share this episode with all of your friends on the various social medias. That's right, I said it that way. One of like a hundred of them now? I don't know. And thank you to all our Patreon backers for putting up with all of Tracy's shenanigans over on the patrons-only Facebook page. I mean, (laughs) she posts like 20 times a day sometimes. (laughs) They just love it. (laughs) If that sounds like something you'd be interested in, head over to patreon.com slash functionalnerds and become a backer yourself. Then you too can weigh in on the heaviest topics in fandom, like... Which are the best french fries? Or, if Pop-Tarts are really just sweet, sweet ravioli. Or some sort of sweet empanada. Now, that's not the sort of thing you're going to hear over on Beyond the Trope. And yes, I'm assuming you're going to head over there after this and give them a listen. Because why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Giles and Michelle are often discussing... The kinds of things that are the glue that, that, that holds fandom together. Why, just last week they were talking about, let me look it up, parties. Huh. I did not see that coming. Okay. Anyway, are we sure we're doing the math right on that thing about Lower Decks? I mean... That's a lot of stuff to happen to a ship in a single year. But it does explain the pseudo-mariner age paradox. Huh. And you know what? I have to agree with Boimler. I don't see the resemblance between Locarno and Paris. <laughs> I just don't see it. Mr. Carpiers. You got it right. How about that? Yeah. You can call me Cannoli Joe. If you've if you've never listened to the podcast, there there's there's two different styles here. There's there's Tracy who does prep work and comes up with some very thoughtful questions, and then oh squirrel. Oh, for God's sake, Patrick Louise. <laughs> Are you okay with me recording you today for the purposes of this podcast? Ah.
Okay. That's probably a good enough signal. <laughs> when someone comes up to me and says, hey, I really love what you do. I'm like, I'm sorry. Do you know who I like? I think you have me confused with someone else. The whiz bang and the gosh wow and the sense of wonder stuff. My favorite thing about time travel is I actually had a time travel joke for you guys, but you didn't like it. I'm so excited.